Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian, who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered, and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favour in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household, and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and of all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Now Joseph was well built and handsome, and after a while his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, Come to bed with me. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, My master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. One day he went into the house to attend to his duties and none of the household servants was inside. She caught him by his cloak and said, Come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. When she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand and had run out of the house, she called her household servants. Look, she said to them, this Hebrew has been brought to, to us to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. When he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. She kept his cloak beside her until his master came home. Then she told him this story. That Hebrew slave you brought us came to me to make sport of me. But as soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. When his master heard the story his wife told him, saying, This is how your slave treated me, he burned with anger. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favour in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care, because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. Good morning, everyone. Hope you're going well. My name's Jack, if I haven't met you before. And I'm one of the pastors here at Trinity Church, Unley. Uh, we're in our third week on a series looking at the, uh, the book of Genesis, as we've just read through chapter 39. 
And our question for this morning, as we look at this story of Joseph, is this. How do you fare when you're under pressure? How do you fare under pressure? Um, did, did anyone maybe wake up this morning and feel a little bit of pressure because you might not have set your alarm clock for the extra, you know, the, the less hour of sleep? Anyone here felt that pressure this morning? Yeah, did anyone completely forget? That's right, you don't have to put your hand up, don't have to put your hand up, that's fine. Is that kind of pressure. Um, but also, um, we kind of feel other pressures in life as well, and that, that pressure to kind of, um, sometimes when, when things are going hard, maybe maybe do the wrong thing. I um, I remember going going rock climbing in year nine and in feeling this pressure. Uh, it was actually pressure to, to have to lie about something. Um, we went rock climbing, and I hadn't really told anyone. I don't know why I said yes to doing this, but I had a fear of heights in year nine, and I said yes to going rock climbing outdoors, which is kind of a big no-no when you think about it straight away. But I went anyway, but I, t- I still didn't want any of my friends to know that I was scared of heights. And I think partly I was just hoping I'll start climbing and things will be fine, okay, and I won't be scared. But we went rock climbing, I was scared of heights, I felt that pressure because I didn't want my friends to know about that. But then it was my turn to go rock climbing up this, this rock face and I started climbing up. I probably, I was probably about two meters up when I looked down at the ground and kind of just froze. I was terrified. And I was there for a while and one of the leaders was there. Now, Cam Maxo is the pastor at Trinity Church Kernelite Garden. Some of you might know him. He was my youth leader at that point. He shouted out, Jack, what are you doing? And I couldn't think of anything. I didn't want them to know that I was scared of heights. So I just said, I'm tired. I'm tired. He went, what? What are you t-? And, I, and then I just said, there was a possum in my roof last night, and it kept me up, and I'm tired. And he went, a, a possum in the roof? And, um, and he saw straight through it. Everyone saw straight through the lie and saw that I was quite afraid of heights. And Cam, being, being the loving man that he is, um, left, he left me up there for another 10 to 15 minutes, and kind of they all, uh, all had a bit of fun with me, which was fine, which was fine. But I felt that pressure that day. How do you fear... Uh, how do you fare under pressure? This morning we see Joseph under pressure, don't we? And we read about his response. It's, it's not a, um, a time pressure he's under. There's no possums in his roof or anything. Uh, it's a different kind of pressure to do that wrong thing. When we dig deep into this and look at it, we actually realize it's the pressure to reject the God who was with Joseph, the God who has cared for Joseph, the God who has blessed Joseph. That's, that's what's going on here. That's the pressure he's under this morning. Joseph's landed in his feet in this chapter, hasn't he? But it's not long before things go wrong again for God's chosen leader. Our big idea for this series has been that God brings blessing through his chosen leader. In the first week, we saw this leader being rejected by his own family as his brothers sold him into slavery We started seeing the failure of God's chosen family to live rightly before him. And then last week, we saw, though, that human failure does not throw God's plans off course. What God promises, he will make happen, even if it means using human weakness and human failure. But this week, our big idea is this. God's chosen leader is faithful under pressure. Now, he's in in some, some pretty... A pretty dire situation, Joseph. See, he's under pressure to reject a God, as I said, who is with him, has cared for him, and who has blessed him. And as we think about how this applies to us this morning, we're going to turn our eyes together to God's chosen king, Jesus, who Joseph's faithfulness under pressure ultimately points us toward, and we'll think about how we respond to a God who is with us, who cares for us, and who has blessed us through his son, Jesus. Jesus. 
This morning there are, there are a bunch of things to draw out from this passage. And if you have a leaflet, you should see it says, first of all, Joseph in Potiphar's household. Well, chapter 39, verse 1, takes off where we were left at the end of chapter 37, where we read that Joseph was sold to Potiphar. And here in verse 1 we read, Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. So Potiphar, someone with a pretty important role in Egyptian society, buys Joseph as a slave. And then in the next five verses, while Joseph is a slave in Potiphar's household, we see two things. We see firstly that God is with his chosen leader, and we also see what this means for Potiphar's household. We read, the Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. Joseph's really landed on his feet. Not really what his brothers thought would have happened to him by now, I'm assuming, when they sold him as a slave to the Ishmaelites. But it doesn't end there. Joseph doesn't just land on his feet, we read, he prospers. And the success of Joseph is noted by Potiphar himself. Actually, Potiphar recognises God's hand in Joseph's success and ability. That's what we're seeing. We read in verse 3, When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favour in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. It's an unexpected result for Joseph after having been sold into slavery. God has not left him alone. God is with him and causes Joseph to prosper. And this prospering of God's chosen leader, it brings blessing to the household of Potiphar, we read in verses 5 to 6. We read, From the time he put him in charge of his household and of all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food that he ate. What's our big idea for the series? God brings blessing through his chosen leader. And here we get a taste of what that looks like in the household of Potiphar. God is bringing blessing to the household of Potiphar through Joseph, even though right now he isn't a leader but is still a slave. It's a foretaste of what is to come. God is with his chosen leader and brings blessing to the household of Potiphar. But things don't last for Joseph in Potiphar's household, although God is with him. Joseph, we read, is put under serious pressure to reject God who is with him, who cares for him, who has blessed him, in order to bow down to the wishes of Potiphar's wife to commit adultery, to have sex with her. And we're a little bit worried after reading about Judah last week, aren't we? Will Joseph, like his brother Judah, being far away from his father's household and in Egypt, away from God's chosen people, be unfaithful to God and turn away from him? But while Joseph is in Potiphar's household, thankfully, we see that God's chosen leader proves faithful under pressure. We read at the end of verse 6 and into verse 7, Now Joseph was well built and handsome, and after a while his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, Come to bed with me. And we get a bit worried, don't we? As we've just read that chapter in 38 with Judah and his sexual immorality. What of Joseph? Well, in contrast to his older brother, in chapter 38, we, we read in verse 8 this morning, 
But Joseph refused. And we think, yes, go Joseph. He says, with me in charge, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. Here we see Joseph refusing to do the wrong thing in abusing the trust that's been given to him firstly, and then in refusing to do the wrong thing against Potiphar, and most importantly, as Joseph says, refusing to do the wrong thing against his God. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? Joseph doesn't reject the God who is with him, cares for him, and has blessed him. And it would have been really easy to get away with though, right? Sleeping with Potiphar's wife, his master basically ignores everything that Joseph does because of his track record. If he says yes, he'd likely get away with it. But there's more going on here as well. Who holds the power in the relationship between Potiphar's wife and Joseph? It's not Joseph, it's Potiphar's wife. What we see here is someone who has power over Joseph telling him to do what Joseph knows is the wrong thing. There is more going on here for Joseph than just to be tempted by sexual sin and into adultery. There is power at play here and an abuse of power. And Joseph is on the receiving end. Day after day, we read, he's on the receiving end of this. His response? How could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? Joseph is tempted by sex, he's tempted to reject God, to find security in his own way and away from God. Ultimately, Joseph recognises that to follow Potiphar's wife's request is the wrong thing for him to do in God's sight, so he doesn't do it. God's chosen leader proves faithful under pressure, even though in refusing to do this thing, could have proven fatal to him, as it very nearly does. From verse 8, Joseph one more time goes to work and whether Potiphar's wife has planned for there to be no one else around or not, we don't know. Uh, but, but now it would be easier than, than ever for Joseph to just say yes, especially when she grabs hold of his cloak. But what do we read happens when she does this? But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. Joseph just gets up and flees. He runs. He gets out of there. But let me read of Potiphar's wife's actions afterwards, and it kind of just makes your blood boil, doesn't it? In the next few verses, we read of her lie about what has happened. She accuses Joseph of trying to rape her. She says to her husband, that Hebrew slave that you brought to us came to me to make sport of me. And the lie hits hard. And the injustice of what happens next hits hard. Surely Potiphar will will follow this up. Surely Joseph will be vindicated. Otherwise, um, well, after all, Joseph, he's proven to be faithful, hasn't he? Joseph, God's chosen leader, has fled from sin. Joseph's response to the invitation to do the wrong thing, an invitation it probably would have been safer for him to accept, is one that he refuses and he flees instead of rejecting the God who was with him, who's cared for him, who's blessed him. He's faithful under pressure. And yet, sadly, we read, Potiphar believes the lie about him. And we see that God's chosen leader is tested now in more ways than one. 
In verse 19 to the first part of verse 20, we read, When his master heard the story his wife told him, saying, This is how your slave treated me, he burned with anger. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. Joseph, despite his innocence, is found guilty and sent to prison. Now, why Potiphar didn't have Joseph just killed on the spot is a bit of a mystery. We aren't given an answer to that. Uh, But we see that he's angry, and understandably, if he believes his wife's story. But maybe there is a shadow of doubt in his mind about Joseph's guilt. Maybe that's why he doesn't have him killed on the spot. After all, Joseph's been a really good slave. After all, it might be a bit embarrassing for this to get out. But that's where Joseph is at the end of the chapter, in prison. And we're left with that question. Will Joseph remain faithful to God while he is in prison in an even worse situation than before? Now he's not only a slave, he's a slave who's been sent to jail for doing something he didn't do. But we also read at the end that despite the unjust sentence of Joseph and him being in prison, that we have great hope. From verse 20 we read, But while Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him. Does this sound familiar? He showed him kindness, granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. It's kind of sounding familiar. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those who held in the prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care, because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. What we read at the start of this chapter is happening again at the end. God continues to be with Joseph, to care for him, to bless him. So we've seen that God is with his chosen leader. We've seen, secondly, that God's chosen leader proves faithful. And we've seen, thirdly, that God's chosen leader is tested in more ways than one, as even though he is faithful under pressure, he still gets sent to prison. But God is still with his chosen leader. And we see in this passage how Joseph fares under pressure. And as we read it, we are presented with that question I asked at the beginning. How do you fare under the pressure to reject a God who was with you, who cares for you, who has blessed you through his son? Point two, how do you fare under pressure? Don't worry, like last week, point two and three, it's much shorter than point one. Much later in in the Bible, uh, we read uh, after Joseph's time, we read this in in Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13. See, God likens that the Israelites' rejection of him to forsaking the spring of living water, to forsaking God, who is that spring of living water, to dig a broken cistern that can't actually hold water. It's not just the Israelites who do this, though. We're all guilty of doing this, and we all still struggle with this. God says this, My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns, that cannot hold water. When, when we turn from God and reject Him in sin and live in a way that, that we ought not to, we're turning to other things in God's world. We're saying, this, this can sustain and satisfy me. This brings life. This is my God that I want to serve. I reject God because this thing, maybe money or sex or power, or for Joseph it was security, that was the temptation, is better for me than the God who was with me, who cares for me, who has blessed me through His Son, Jesus. But what we are doing when we do this is we are turning from the God who is the spring of living water 
to try and quench our thirst from a broken, dusty, useless well that can't satisfy, that can't bring life. It's useless. See, Joseph is being presented with the opportunity in this passage to buy the lie that the broken cistern is the way to go instead of the spring of living water. And we're all presented with those opportunities, aren't we? In, in little ways and in big ways. These different pressures in our lives present this, this lie to us to buy. Something we see here in this passage that, that stands out is sexual sin. That could be it. See, adultery isn't something that churches are immune to. Or is it the invitation of a computer screen late at night and the easy accessibility of pornography when no one else is around to hold you accountable? Maybe you are struggling in a relationship with your boyfriend or your girlfriend. You're feeling the temptation to just, you know, push the boundaries a bit and cross a line even though you know it's wrong. But it doesn't just stay in the realm of sexual sin, does it? Joseph is being tempted by Potiphar's wife to betray the trust of of his boss, his master. And I wonder if that translates today to how we act toward employers in the workplace or toward those who have given us responsibility in another area of life. What could that look like? Stealing money or time, using work resources in a way that is wrong and against what your employers ask you to do, but it's just so easy to get away with. Is there pressure in life that leads you to, to reject God in order to try and find that satisfaction from that empty and useless well? What about for those younger here, the pressures that are at school? This next one could probably include the workforce or uni as well. What does your peer group do that would be so easy to take part in but is so obviously against how God teaches to live in his world and act toward others? How does your peer group impact the way you act towards someone else at school, maybe another student or teacher. It could start with exclusion and maybe some mean words spoken behind a person's back. It could end in outright hostility towards someone, and even though it might not feel like it because you're part of a pack, just plain bullying. What are they looking at on the phone or computer screens or engaging with on social media that even though you have that bad feeling in the pit of your stomach... You're still tempted to just take part in it because, because, hey, they're doing it. And I feel the pressure to fit in. We all feel different kinds of pressures to sin against God. We are all pressured to buy the lie that life could be better or easier by rejecting him, not realizing that in doing so, we're turning from the spring of water, a loving, caring, life-giving, salvation-bringing, perfect and good God, who for some reason wants to be with people like us. We turn from him to a broken, self-dug well that can't even hold any water. The The big pressures in this passage for Joseph that we see, though, it's an issue of power. And the struggle of Joseph to say no under the pressure of dire consequences from someone with power over him. Now, we're unlikely to face the same consequences as Joseph of going to prison or facing death because we don't want to sin against God. It's unlikely to happen. But there are still situations where that power divide is in play and saying no, even to what we know is wrong, can have consequences in different spheres of life. Again, in the workplace, if the boss asks you to do something that you know is obviously wrong, how do you respond under that pressure? 
Or in your peer group, if your social standing is under threat unless you take part in what everyone else is doing, even though you know it's something that God doesn't want you to do, how do you respond to that pressure? I think Joseph offers some very helpful ways of practically what we can do in these situations. Firstly, Joseph recognises sin for what it is. Never a good thing. Because ultimately, it's, it's against God. It's what he says in verse 9. How could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? He recognises sin for what it is. Recognises it for the broken, terrible thing that it is, that it is against God, as much as he might have been tempted to justify sin in that moment that he was in. Secondly, Joseph doesn't mosey about and flirt with temptation or try to push boundaries to see how far he can go either. Joseph just runs. He just gets up and flees, we read in verse 12. In his desire not to sin, Joseph flees half-naked out of the house and away from Potiphar's wife. I mean, what a great response, having recognized sin for what it is, not to try and fool himself that he can just hang out and hope for the best. Joseph just runs for his life. So flee if you have to. Get out of the house or the building if you have to. Don't reject living water for a man-made broken well that will not satisfy. But Then the question we're, we're left with then is where do you flee to when you feel this pressure when you are tempted? Where do you turn if you are caught in sin and rejection of God? It's all well and good to say, isn't it, get out of the building, get out of the situation, but there are a lot of things that are going to look different about doing this. And it's going to require wisdom in knowing how to say no and and actually possible embarrassment as well, even though it's worth the embarrassment you might feel in asking someone for help. But there is one thing that looks the same for all of us, and it's this. We don't just flee from sin and out into the middle of nowhere. Otherwise, if we do this, we're just really running with a bungee rope tied around our waist and we're just going to be pulled straight back and that sin remains. We don't flee into the middle of nowhere. Instead, we flee to God's chosen leader, the one through whom we know that God is with us, that God cares for us and that God has blessed us when we put our trust in him as he deals with our sin by paying the price for it in his death on the cross. And point three, how amazing is it that God's chosen leader, Jesus, gets it? God's chosen leader gets it. And more than that, God's chosen leader succeeds where we all fail and saves us. See, when we read the story of Joseph and look at who Jesus is next to him, we actually see a reflection of the leader that God had always chosen to save us through, being Jesus, our King and our Saviour. We see in this passage that through Joseph, Potiphar's household is blessed. Well, in Jesus, the whole world is blessed. In Joseph, we see a leader who proves faithful under pressure in Potiphar's household. In Jesus, we see a king who was faithful under pressure all of his life, even as Satan himself sought to turn him away from what Jesus had come to accomplish. In Joseph, we see a man sold into slavery, yet through whom God's people and the nations around Egypt would be blessed and and saved from famine. In Jesus, we see God with us, fully human and fully God, willingly handing himself over to be put to death, so that if we put our trust in him, we are forgiven 
and we might be brought back from slavery to sin and death and brought to life in Jesus at the cost of his own. Jesus is the one who leads us to God, to living waters. Jesus is the one through whom God is with us, through whom God has shown his love and care for us, and through whom God has blessed us with salvation from sin when we put our trust in him. And he gets the struggle. He gets the struggle. Like Joseph knew that God was with him, we can know that God is with us today through the Holy Spirit. We're we're not alone in this world as we seek to live rightly amidst all of life's pressures for God. He is with us, the spring of living water in the terrible hard times of life as well as the good. In the high points and the low points, he's with us. He's there to help us when we feel tempted or feel pressured to turn from him to something that promises satisfaction but is ultimately a broken and useless thing that will never quench our thirst. He gets it. He knows how hard it is when that temptation is there. When it's complicated, he gets it. He gets the messiness of the world and he gets how much it just sucks sometimes. He gets it. You're not alone in your struggle against sin, so don't try to get over those hurdles by yourself. When you are caught in sin, which is something we all do, repent of it, turn from it, and flee straight to Jesus, trusting in Him for forgiveness, trusting that in Jesus we have relationship with God, that He is with us, He cares for us, and has blessed us in His Son. Remember last week, God works with rotten, raw material. And he doesn't want us to figure it all out before we come to him. He calls us to come to him with our failure, with our brokenness, with our struggles. He gets it. And he deals with it because we can't through his son. So come to him again and again. Jesus, the chosen, faithful leader has saved us so that we can draw close to our loving God through faith in Him. So flee to Him, trust in Him, and ask Him for help. As we wrap up, let me read these words from Hebrews in chapter 2, verse 14 to 18. Then we're going to pray. The author of Hebrews writes this, Since the children have flesh and blood, He too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not angels he helps but Abraham's descendants. For this reason he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people." Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Let's pray and thank God for that now. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for the example of Joseph this morning as being faithful under pressure. Thank you for the way that he points to Jesus. Thank you that through Jesus we can know that you are with us, that you love us, and that you have blessed us through your Son, in whom we have forgiveness of sin and life with you. Thank you for the relationship we can have with you, our loving Father, through your Son. 
And we pray that in those times of lies, when we do feel that pressure to turn from you and reject you, we pray that you would help us to recognize sin for what it is. You would help us to flee from sin, to turn from it in repentance. You would help us to flee straight back to your Son, in whom we have forgiveness of sin and life. Help us to um, encourage one another to do this and do this side by side for your glory, Lord. Amen.